and turn with me, if you can, to three passages. Uh, we've read a couple, from a couple of these passages already, but we're going to do it again. Uh, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, Matthew 24, and Revelation 11. Daniel 9, Matthew 24, Revelation chapter 11. I wish that we could read all the scriptures related to the tribulation, related to the final judgment, related to the battle of Armageddon, related to what we call the day of the Lord. But we don't have time to read all, the, all of them. There's many other passages in places like Ezekiel and Zechariah and Joel and Pete, first, uh, or, or Peter's epistles, the book of Jude. There's other places that we could read, but we don't have the time. But we'll look at the kind of anchor text we've been looking at and where it speaks to directly what we're looking at today. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we are not in our book of John study. I'll be back in that in a couple of weeks. Um, like I said, this is part five of this prophecy series. Um, I always have a number of books that I'm studying, but my stack has been like this high, and I'll be glad to kind of say goodbye to that stack for a little while myself, although I've been really, uh, I think, positively uh, impressed by the Lord and by the Spirit reading these things, and I hope that you will be as well. But verse 26, Daniel chapter 9 and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Again, we've read this before. This relates to the, the seven weeks plus the 62 in the previous passage. This was ab absolutely Jesus at the cross. But then it goes directly into the future. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city, lowercase prince, that's the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war of desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. One week means seven weeks. But in the middle of the week, three and a half year mark, middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Of course, there's no temple right now. There's no sacrifice to end because there is no sacrifice taking place. So this has to be in the future. And on the wing of abominations, he shall, he shall be one who makes desolate. Of course, the Antichrist is going to make the world very desolate from until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. And I've read this passage a bunch of times, and this really struck me when I was reading it this particular time. This last passage where it says, is poured out, you know, only the bold judgments are poured out. The first seven, you've got trumpets, then you have seals, then the trumpets, you have the seals first, seals are broken, trumpets are sounded. But the bowls are poured out, and I think it's interesting, until the consummation, which is determined, the one is, is poured out, and the bowls will pour, be poured out on a desolate world. I actually think that this alludes to the bowls um, in the book of Revelation. Now, over to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus' Olive Discourse, been a kind of an anchor text each and every week. What does Jesus have to say about this? Uh, we'll go back to two passages we've read before because they, again, fit directly with the middle to the end here. 
Uh, verse 15, Matthew 24, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel, which we just read, the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand Daniel's parenthetical statement. Hey, understand what Daniel wrote. Not just the passage we read, but all of what Daniel wrote, I believe. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jesus is saying, get out immediately. You see him enter the temple, run. Same chapter. Pick it up with me, verse 29. So that would be the middle of the tribulation. Here's the end. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, then the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus will return victoriously at the end of the tribulation. So the last passage, Revelation chapter 11. And we'll just read from verse 15. The, all the rest of the first part of Revelation 11 is about the two witnesses, their ministry, when they're killed, and their resurrection. We'll talk about that uh, in just a few minutes anyway. But let's pick it up with verse 15. Then the angels sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of, kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. We just sang and worshiped and you guys were saying, great is our Lord. Great are you, Lord. That was awesome. This will be trillions of times more powerful than anything we just experienced. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces. It's a normal thing to get on your knees before the Lord. Matter of fact, the elders would get on their faces before God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come because you have taken your great power and reign, the nations were angry, and your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged, that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and those who destroy, or, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. You know how we destroy the earth? Sin. That's how we destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven. And the Ark of His Covenant was seen in His temple, the temple that mankind can never touch. And there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we have Your Word. We have Your Word to teach us our lost condition, our sinful condition. We have your word to teach us our need of Jesus the Savior. We have your word to teach us the need of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have your word of passages that comfort us in difficult times like the Psalms, but we also have your word that tells us what's to come, to understand it. And Lord, to be that much more in reverence and awe of you now as we'll be in heaven. 
but Lord, also to be assured that Jesus, our hope and our trust is in you and that you hold all things in your hand. Lord, I pray that you'd speak by your spirit through this time. Lord, anoint this service. Those that are hearing, Lord, you just soften every heart, open every ear, open every eye, whatever we know, Lord, we would know it in the depth and understand that you would desire us to know by the Spirit. I pray that you give me your help, your strength, and remove me from the equation once again that each person might hear from Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So up in heaven, right here at the midpoint of the tribulation, John sees and we see the true king the King of kings and Lord of lords. Worship for he alone is worthy. John sees the saints. He hears the worship. Can you imagine being alive and God catches you up in heaven to see this? John sees it with his own eyes. He sees the 24 elders bowing down. Now the two witnesses, they've actually returned to heaven at this point. Just You've got to read the whole... Matter of fact, I recommend you read Revelation 5 all the way through Revelation 19 as well as the Olivet Discourse, as well as Daniel chapter 7, 11, and 12. Those are some other, there's other places too. But the two witnesses have just returned to heaven when John sees this incredible scene. We also see here a victorious worship pronouncement uh, that in spite of the world's belief that they found their leader, one that they think, or they're still convincing themselves, that has the power to fight against God and win, the pronouncement in heaven that you just read with me is crystal clear and resounding. This war is over. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth have set themselves up. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The world hates Jesus. The world leaders hate Jesus. But this war that's going to take place on planet Earth, like no war the world's ever seen, this war is over before it ever began. And it's equally over before it ends. It's been a proxy war. If you study history, there's always been a war against Israel, the descendants of Abraham, all people that put their faith in Jesus Christ, all the saints of God, even before Abraham, going back to Noah and Enoch and others. But it's always been against God himself and against his only begotten son, Jesus. That's the war. And then at the cross, Satan in the demonic world with glee got to nail Jesus to a cross, and they thought they had won, but you know they had lost. And by the way, the same messianic chapter, Psalm chapter 2, which is a very messianic, there's a lot of messianic chapters in the Psalms, but uh, it mentions that same chapter, if you go back and read Psalm 2, it mentions the incarnation of the begotten Son, verse 7. It also, in the very last verse of Psalm chapter 2, it warns everyone to kiss the Son lest he be angry with you. And you know what it means? It means to bow down and kiss the feet, to... Put your face at feet level of Jesus, lest you perish. But as John sees this declaration of victory and authority, there's still, a, there's still people on the earth that are opposed to God, and they don't know the war is over. They still cling to this delusional belief 
that maybe technology, maybe trillions of dollars, maybe inventions, but more than anything else, their self-proclaimed Savior can defeat God. And by the way, this, this man, this lowercase prince, the Antichrist, the man of sin, these are all names for him. He's about to reveal a whole lot more of who he is. And it's not going to be pretty for the rest of the world. His ultimate end time goal, if you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, Portrait of Prophecy, Part 5, and we're focused on being assured today. Be assured of what? Well, be assured that every plan of Satan, the Antichrist, this fallen world, will literally go down in flames, right into the flames of the lake of fire itself. And that everyone that puts their faith and trust in Jesus will literally, I plan on being there, how about you, literally see him defeat and destroy, and I might add easily, really easily for him, all the forces of darkness, all the deception, all the evil, and then he's going to gather all of his saints to himself. Let's jump right into the second half of the book of Revelation. Why? Because I don't have much time. So we've got to jump right in. Second half, we looked at the first three and a half, but we need to kind of um, reset the table. Let's understand what's taken place in the first three and a half years. So I'll go back to the chart that I had from last week. Everything in red we covered. Now, we didn't cover it in monumental detail because we don't have the kind of time. Uh, I've thought about maybe some future Wednesday night, having a Wednesday night Q&A where we can you, you ask questions, we can talk about go into uh, certain things in deeper detail if you'd like to. So that, that's kind of on the future agenda here. But um, everything in red we looked at, what we're focused right now, right now to start out this morning, is everything in yellow there. That's the midpoint. This Shekinah glory that uh, John has witnessed in heaven, the worship, the, the, the witnesses are back there along with all the other saints. But what culminates at the three-and-a-half-year mark it's just what we've seen this, uh, this scene in heaven, which is the seventh trumpet. Now, of course, there is an exact middle day, and you can study uh, the 1260 days, the 1290 days, the 70-day gap period. You know, there's different theories on how the lines work out, what John wrote, what uh, Daniel wrote, and I wish we'd get into all that. Maybe in the future we can look at just those things. But what we're looking at right now is just the middle period, if you will. Remember Jesus... His last week, a lot happened in a week, right? All of the discourse, Passover, uh, which was the uh, Last Supper, his death, resurrection, all the same week. Remember? Curse the fig tree. All that stuff happens in one week. So there's this midpoint here, and we're focused on these midpoint events and how they align with Jesus' Olivet Discourse, Daniel's prophecy, what's ending and what's beginning. Now Daniel chapter 9, which we just read 26 and 27, tells us the middle of the week, middle of the seven-year period, that lowercase prince will end the sacrifices. There's no temple there today. There's no sacrifices to end. By the way, can you imagine, you know, I've read about animal sacrifice in the Bible hundreds of times, but can you imagine a day when all that's taking place there again? 
literally the altar, the incense going up, the morning sacrifice, the evening sacrifice, the priest wearing the robes, the whole nine yards, and all that's going to return at some point. But it says in chapter, also Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 12, that the abomination of desolation, the prince, the antichrist, he's going to take away the sacrifices, not just in chapter 9 it says that. But it also says in chapter 11 that, that an image will be placed in the temple. And it will be abominable to God to put an idol, it will be representative of the Antichrist himself. Jesus, in my view, what we just read when he said, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not, I believe he's referencing the Antichrist standing in the temple, but also the wider fulfillment of the covenant being broken, him entering the temple, the blasphemy towards God, which he will blaspheme God at that time, the desecration of the temple, and the image, and again, the big one, the covenant broken right there in the middle. All that will kind of be in the same scene, if you will. It's kind of like on 9-11, the towers were hit, the Pentagon was hit, the towers fell, but we think of it as one event. But it's actually a bunch of events, right? It's a bunch of events in the same Day. And so here's a, a lot happens in this same midpoint right there at the epicenter of the tribulation period. Now up to the midpoint, the world has already seen world war, regional wars, famine, disease, plagues, animal attacks, natural and cosmic disasters, again, cosmic being coming from outer space, Demonic attacks, which can be literal, or the demons just influencing things or indwelling animals, creatures, people. We don't know. There's all kinds of different theories on how that all works. But very possible, as I mentioned last week, just with our current population of 7.9 billion people and understanding exactly how the reading of uh, starting Revelation chapter 6 goes, and you take the prior population or, or those that would have left with the rapture of the church, that by the time you get to the midpoint, we can be down to about 3.6 billion people. If you just follow literally what the scriptures say, from 7.9 down to about 3.6 billion by the middle of the tribulation. <clears throat> but during this time, the peace covenant that the Antichrist sets up with Israel has remained in force. So the first three and a half years, Israel is really feeling good about the Antichrist being their friend. He's helped them get the temple rebuilt. Uh, he has protected them. There's probably been some nations, in my view, that have probably tried to attack, and he's come to Israel's defense. Um, so there's a lot uh, that Israel is doing that is returning to um, the time of the law. And the Antichrist is not preventing this, but he's ra rather commending Israel for returning to their original worship. Like, yeah, this is great. Much of the rest of the world will have been brought into a worldwide religion at this point by the Antichrist kind of influence. And I believe that the worldwide uh, religion that will take place, other than those practicing Judaism, There'll be this amalgamation of religions coming together. It'll combine the Bible. 
all the other world religions, New Age mysticism, and even ancient idolatry, and it'll all get put into a blender, and people are like, this is, this is the best of everything. This has ISIS. I'm not talking about ISIS. I'm talking about the goddess ISIS. And uh, it has Aphrodite. It has Jesus. It has Muhammad. It has Confucius. It has atheism. It's all built in. It's wonderful. Millions will have the same respect and attraction for this one world religion as they will for the Antichrist. Until later, the Antichrist is going to eliminate the one world religion and he will replace everything by himself. All during this time, again, still still in the first three and a half years, all during this first three and a half years, the Antichrist has a major nemesis, actually two, the two witnesses. They're very significant. The whole world will know who they are. I personally believe it's Moses and Elijah. I believe that's they were there on, with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. I believe they're the two lampstands. But if, even if it's Enoch and Elijah, or even if it's two others that we are completely wrong, at any rate, they'll be preaching and prophesying about Jesus being the true Messiah for Israel. The whole three and a half years, I believe they'll be saying, you missed your Messiah. It's Jesus. It's Jesus of Nazareth. They'll be preaching the gospel. They'll be explaining that all the plagues are because of sin and rebellion and rejection of God. And they'll be preaching repentance, that people need to repent and turn to God. And I believe that many will. I believe millions will come to saving faith. The 144,000 at the exact same time, remember the 12 tribes have 144,000, They'll be preaching the same message all over the world. The only difference is they aren't given the miraculous, supernatural, miracle-working power that the two witnesses are given. That's reserved for them. They're given this incredible power from God. But it's almost a certainty that the two witnesses will also be warning Israel and the world about who the Antichrist is, saying he's not who you think he is. He is evil. He is here to deceive you. He is here to enslave you. He is here to take you to hell and to the lake of fire. They will be telling the world. So the Antichrist will have these two nemesises for, three and a half, for the first three and a half years. Now, there, by the way, there are some scholars that think the two witnesses actually operate in the second half of the tribulation. Uh, I do not, and I don't have time to explain it. You can go study it and come back and make your, draw your own conclusions. But for a number of reasons which I think are very solid, um, I really believe uh, it's, in my view, conclusive that they're in the first three and a half years. But nevertheless, um, during that time, as they preach who the Antichrist is and who Jesus is, nobody will have an excuse. Nobody will be able to say to God someday, well, if you would have just warned me, the two witnesses, everyone will see them on their smartphone constantly. These two, they say they're Moses and Elijah. They're in robes of sackcloth. They say they're Moses and Elijah. By the way, uh, you know that the book of Jude tells us that uh, Satan fought Michael the archangel for the body of Moses. He didn't get the body of Moses, but he tried to get the body of Moses. Uh, Moses died, but only God kind of saw him pass away, and God hid Moses away. And, of course, Elijah goes 
up in a chariot. And so both of them have some very unique exits compared to the rest of us. Uh, Enoch is the only, only other one that kind of falls in that category. But um, can you imagine a world getting Moses and Elijah for three and a half years? Moses is, is so built into, you know, he is there uh, just before the law. He's there with Jesus just before the cross. And then he would be there, if he's one of two witnesses, there just before the end. In other words, he's inserted. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, says they sing the song of Moses. So he's very inter integrated into God's plan. And Elijah represents the prophets. But nobody can harm the two witnesses. For their three and a half year ministry, they can preach with incredible authority. And if anyone tries to say, I've had enough, about enough of these two, they can just speak and fire fl flows from their mouth and consumes them. Every pastor wished they had this power. <laughs> but none of us do. Every Christian probably wishes they had this power at times. You're like, at work, like, you know what I would do to that, that boss that said this? He just used God's name. You know. But we're to love. We're called to love. We are called to love. Even our enemies. But they can consume their enemies. It's the, this is a judgment set. They're not sent to love on everybody. They are, the love is to, to preach the gospel. But they can consume their enemies. They can call down plagues. Anytime they desire, it says in verse 6 of chapter 11. It seems that at some point near the midpoint, the Antichrist begins to make removing these two witnesses his number one priority. He has had enough of these two witnesses, and he's ready to move on his midpoint plan. And I believe that getting rid of them is, is key to all of this. Uh, now, some scholars believe that there's even a full war against the two witnesses, like literally armies coming against two witnesses, and it's lasts up to a month. Again, different views on this. But right near the midpoint, God finally... Remember Jesus when he died on the cross? He said, I could, he could call legions of angels. He said, no one takes my life, I what? Lay it down. The witnesses end up being killed by the Antichrist after the three and a half years. The Antichrist slays them and looks like the most powerful being in the universe by slaying these two powerful prophets of God. But ultimately, you and I know that God just took the shield off them so they could pass, and they do. They're killed, and when that happens, their bodies will lay in the street for three and a half days. They won't bury them. The macabre world will love watching their dead bodies. People will just stare at their phone, just staring at their dead bodies. This is awesome. And for three and a half days, it'll become Christmas and New Year's on earth. It says that, that people will give gifts to each other. They will have celebrations. And the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, likely just laying there in the street dead. Now, it's possible they're even decapitated because it says later in Revelation that the way the Antichrist is going to kill people is he's going to behead them. So it's possible that the world even loves that much the bloodshed. Of course, they'll already see Christians being killed right and left, and even more so after the midpoint. Now, now that the world is free of these two witnesses, things are looking up for planet Earth. That's, that's the way humanity will think for those three and a half days. Hey, all of our problems are going to go away. These two guys caused everything. And I believe this event may very well be the event 
them being killed, that the few holdout nations that hadn't ceded their power to the Antichrist will say, if you can kill the two witnesses, you have all of our country as well. You have our power. And I believe at this point he'll consolidate power of the world. At this same point, he enters the temple. Right in the midpoint, he will then enter the temple. He will stop the sacrifice. He'll tell the high priest, I'm the high priest. Not, I'm just a high priest. I'm the God of the world. He'll stop the sacrifices. He'll declare himself to be God of the world. He'll make his throne in the temple. He'll blaspheme God. And I believe at this point, Jesus has said in Matthew 24, if you see him enter, get out of town. And I believe that the reminder from the Holy Spirit and the two witnesses, the two witnesses will be, have, have probably been saying, when he enters, you better leave. When he enters, you better leave. When he enters, you better leave. And all of a sudden, as the world is partying for three and a half days, I believe they kind of have an opportunity to run right then. The world is in a party mode for three and a half days, but they're going to need more time than that to get to where they're going. I believe that God will give uh, a period of time, probably a month, maybe two months of the Antichrist, setting up the world dominion because he had partial control. Now he'll gain full control as he breaks this covenant and the remnant of Israel will need to flee and they will flee. Now shortly after this takes place, the Antichrist is going to um, then put the whole kingdom together where he's going to focus on two things. Killing everyone that is Jewish of the seed of Abraham, killing anyone that won't take the mark of the beast, and all people that claim to be followers of Jesus. He'll be relentless to annihilate anybody that's not going to come under his rule or that is in any way connected. It will be a genocide, attempt of a genocide, uh, larger than even what we saw with Nazi Germany, but also worse than the Inquisitions and things like that as far as Christians and Jews. And along, um, and along with his demand of worship, he will consolidate all the political, all the economic, all the religious power under himself. This is Revelation chapter 13, and the dragon represents Satan, uh, the beast of the sea is the Antichrist. The beast of the earth is the false prophet. His, his John the Baptist, if you will. <laughs> his jo uh, you have Moses and Aaron. His Aaron, if you will. His right-hand person, Moses and Aaron. Antichrist and false prophet. And he will organize people worshiping. Literally, people will worship a man. Worship a man. Nebuchadnezzar wanted that too, if you recall, and that's why uh, he, he gets kind of the starting point of kind of the, the focal point of world leaders that are foreshadows to an antichrist. And all of this, don't forget that as he consolidates this power, and ultimately people are going to have to receive the mark of the beast shortly after the midpoint. Shortly after the midpoint, within a couple of months, I would say, after the two witnesses have been killed, everybody that wants to buy or sell, what they don't know is buying and selling isn't going to be all that important in just a little bit after that. But 
So people sold their soul, because once you get the mark of the beast, the scriptures say, you cannot be saved. Uh, you've sold your soul uh, once you kind of go down that path. And by the way, in, in all of our lives, God has a line in the sand for every single person. No one knows. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. No one knows when God's given his last opportunity of grace to any single person. That's why when you hear the gospel, you need to receive the gospel. Not say, well, I, I have a lot of things I want to do, and right about 92, I'd like to do that. Right? So you can't play games. You've got to receive the Lord while today is today. But all of this, remember, the Antichrist is going to put into place this this new world order, this complete acquiescing to him, all of this comes on the immediate heels of not just the two witnesses killed, but remember, they were raised up from the dead after three and a half days. Can you imagine the world scene when they're laying dead? Everyone's been partying for three and a half days. Everyone is excited. All of our problems are gone. No more earthquakes. No more bad stuff's going to happen. Matter of fact, the worst is happen, about to happen. But never the, they think that everything is going to calm down and be better because these two nemesis, not only just the Antichrist, but all of us, they won't call him the Antichrist, they'll call him something else. Uh, all of a sudden, God speaks. The breath of God says enters their body, and all of a sudden, all their body reconstitute, and Moses and Elijah stand up, and you know they're looking at everybody in the eye like, we're back. <laughs> right? But they're not going to stay this time because the whole world will hear a voice from heaven saying, come up here. Everyone will hear it. The whole world will hear a voice. And then they'll see Moses and Elijah go right up into the clouds like Jesus did, the ascension, and everybody will say, as a matter of fact, it says, at that moment, fear falls upon everybody and they give glory to God. For a brief moment, everyone realizes that's the true God. But it doesn't last long. For a couple weeks after 9 11, I was like, I gotta go to church. It didn't last long. Because immediately they can tell themselves it was just a passing thing. And the Antichrist, by the way, the Bible says he has a wound in his own head. And many believe that he will have a false, a pseudo resurrection of his own. Time out, time out. Don't get too amazed at their resurrection. I as you all know, have been raised from the dead. And I raised myself up. And so he will, I believe, talk millions out of what they just saw to ignore the resurrection of the two witnesses. The world will willingly ignore everything that they witnessed from the two witnesses for three and a half years, the total state of the earth. Remember in chapter 6, they knew it was the wrath of the Lamb. Everyone that said, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. So the world has already known that this is coming directly from Jesus. And in their deep deception, while heaven is welcoming home the two witnesses and the worship ensues and that proclamation that the war is over, back down on earth, the majority of mankind is still going to believe in a man that at a minimum has bold-faced lied to Israel. He's already broken the covenant. But by the way, people don't mind politicians lying all the time anymore, Right? And when they do, they just say, well, it makes sense. You have to tell that lie. God doesn't see it that way. Liars are liars, right? And the Antichrist is going to be 
the biggest liar of them all. By the way, the world always exempts lies if they believe it's for the greater good. Everybody, yeah, well, that's, of course you have to lie for that. And they'll believe in this man's lies because he'll be indwelled by Satan himself. And this is what Jesus had to say about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resource. In other words, Satan has an unlimited reservoir of deceptive tactics to deceive people. Just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden, he's been doing it ever since. And he is a liar and the father of it. This is precisely who Satan is, and it's exactly how the Antichrist will operate. Murder and killing will be his goal. Lies and deception isn't some of what the Antichrist will do. It's the essence of who he is. That's why he's called the man of sin. All of the forerunners of the Antichrist, Pharaoh, Nero, Diocletian, right? All the four, Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, all the forerunners to the Antichrist have collectively killed thousands, in fact, millions in their conquest, in their wars, in their lust for power, in their pride, in their desire to be great and worshipped. And they really think they're better than everybody else. That's why no one else's life even matters. The Antichrist won't think anyone's life matters but his life. But as Satan and the Antichrist go into overdrive, different chart, here's the chart for the last three and a half years. As the, Satan, uh, as, as the Antichrist goes into overdrive, the wrath of God will ride right over top of all his overdrive. Anyone that thought, well, the two witnesses are gone, things are going to get better? No. Things are about to get a lot worse. And I don't think it's going to be long. Matter of fact, I think people that get the mark of the beast, which by the way, the vaccine is not mark of the beast. So if anyone thought that, we have godly people that have been vaccinated, and we have plenty of people that don't want to be vaccinated, and it is not the mark of the beast. We could debate merits of things. That's not what I'm here to talk about, just so you know. That is not. However, it is, a, it is, it is true that foreshadows of things that portent, anything that says you cannot buy or sell or go here until you do this or that, is a foreshadowing of something to come. In other words, the fact that you can be told you cannot enter this restaurant or this, 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 yeah, all those things, a world system is being put together to make sure that people know when push comes to shove, whatever we say goes. And the Antichrist will be the final authority on everything. You'll get this, you'll get this, you won't get this, you won't get this. You don't do it. But ultimately, if you don't get the mark of the beast, which some think may be a computer chip, I personally think it's going to be a real mark. And people love tattoos today, so why not be right there, here, or here? But all of that, interestingly enough, people will get the mark of the beast either in fear of a man as opposed to fear of God. The Bible says fear of the Lord. Don't fear man. Jesus said, fear the one who has the power to kill the body and the soul. And the soul. The Antichrist can't kill, can't kill your soul. He can kill your body. By the way, one other thing. When the two witnesses go up, it will be a great encouragement to Christians 
or people that are on the fence of becoming a Christian to say, hold on a second, even if he kills me, I'm going to get raised. That's the Antichrist witness will be. It'll, be. it'll be a linchpin for people that were almost ready to give in and say, you know, whatever he says I'm going to do, but then when they see the witnesses go up, they might say, I think I, even if I lose my head, I'll live again. I'm not going to follow him. I'm going to follow Jesus. And, and millions will, but they'll suffer for it. But, I'll, but when the, these final plagues start to happen, people that have taken the mark of the beast will only get to enjoy their mark for a short, a tiny short period of time. They'll only be able to go to Publix and uh, a football game a couple times before all hell breaks loose. And they're like, why did I do that? This is what people will be asking themselves in hell for eternity. Why? that I do that for a vapor of a lifetime. But just as they're about to go into overdrive and the world's going to be better, nope, all of a sudden in heaven, the thunders and lightnings you heard, the first bowl is going to be poured out. And the first bowl is poured out directly on everybody who takes the mark of the beast. Every single person takes the mark of the beast immediately breaks out into excruciating open sores. The Bible calls them foul, which we believe that they probably smell horrible and feel like knives in your body. And only the people of the mark of the beast. So anyone that was like almost going to do it and say, nope, I'm not going to get the mark, they don't get the source. They're going to be hated even more at that point. The second bowl is poured out. Every ocean and the world turns to blood. Every Sea creature dies. Every little kelp, every whale, every seal, every crab, every fish, everything dies. The entire world's oceans are turned to blood. Third bowl is poured out. So now the mark of the beast does you no good. You, can you tell that after you're like, why did I get this? What am I going to buy? <laughs> it gets worse. All the world's rivers turn to blood. Now, why is God turning the oceans and rivers of blood? Well, it tells us in Revelation 16 exactly why. Here it is. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets. You have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. God is saying all the blood from Abel, remember Cain killed Abel? All the blood from Abel to the tribulation saints, God says, all of their blood I'm giving you to drink in the form of the oceans and the rivers of the world. You wanted blood? You have blood. Fourth bowl poured out. The sun will scorch the earth with incredible heat. Everywhere will be like the Sahara Desert. Everywhere will be insufferable heat. And what does mankind respond? The vast majority of people at that time will blaspheme God and shake their fist at God in anger. That doesn't help. Somewhere in the middle of the bowls... Um, well, let me go one more. The fifth bowl, total darkness, total darkness. world goes black. Your smartphones and things won't work at all. Can't even get to the grocery store because it's pitch black. You don't know where to turn. So you just, like, remember Egypt turned to darkness? Same thing in the plague. And the cumulative pain. Um, you know, I can't imagine all these plagues hitting in successive order. And the sores are still on you, by the way. They don't go away. So all of this is happening at the same time. Somewhere in the middle of all that, the 144,000, the Antichrist subdues and kills them all. 
and they're all slain. He probably beheads every single one of them. And these are the kind of little wins that Satan thinks he's getting, right? Like killing Jesus was a little win in their mind. Of course, three days later, it becomes a massive loss. But in the middle of all that, even though many of the faith have died, God gives the gospel through an angel. And an angel goes through the, flies through the atmosphere of this earth. Literally an angel from heaven will fly through the atmosphere and no one will be able to say, well, if I would have just heard the gospel, because an angel is going to fly through the sky and preach the everlasting gospel. Nobody will have an excuse. The sixth bowl, the Euphrates River, is dried up there in Iraq, and it makes way for a 200-million-man army to march towards Israel. Um, that 200-million-man army, I believe, is probably the kings of the east, Pro more than likely nations that have revolted against the Antichrist and said, we're out, we were with you, but now we're not. But maybe something different. By the way, we may in our lifetime actually see some of the highway built for uh, paving the way. Right now, there's not an easy way for 200 million people to come from the Far East to the Middle East. But China just announced in the last few years that they want to build the Silk Road Initiative, which is now estimated at $3 trillion. They want to have a highway all the way through the Middle East and railroads, rail cars and everything else. And they want to plow it all the way through, and ultimately the trade route goes all the way to Rome. Because the Silk Road was originally the ancient trade routes were started in the Roman Empire, and we know that this is called the revived Roman Empire. So all roads leading to Rome, all these things are coming to pass. People are just walking right into prophecy, not even knowing it. And so the Silk Road Initiative, which would put, uh, which by the way, is very important that you have control of countries like Afghanistan, and all the countries in the middle because they're very mountainous and to kind of blast through there and put highways and all that kind of stuff is going to require work with all of those different nations and you have to have a lot of money and China has both by the way but they're not the only ones that you know could play a role in that um, obviously the nations that are there are going to have to be part of that but nevertheless uh, we could see in our lifetime some of this come right into fruition as far as uh, the route that could be taken all the way to Israel. Um, so during that second half of the tribulation, remember Jesus says, if you see these things taking place, he says, flee to the mountains, right? And I believe they have maybe the three and a half days plus another month or two of you know, Antichrist putting everything in place to get to, and I'm not even sure they'll know at that time where to go, but I believe the Holy Spirit will make it clear once they start running where they're supposed to head. And where they head, the remnant will actually go to, we know this from the Old Testament, they go to a place called Basra. Um, any of you ever been to Petra in Jordan? So, a couple hands. Um, I've been to Israel a couple times. I haven't been to Petra yet. I'd love to get there. But Petra, as you guys know, that uh, is in Jordan. Uh, so is Basra. And they're pretty close to each other. Petra and Basra are fairly, fairly near each other. And it's interesting that if they go to Jordan, you would say, well, Jordan's not part of Israel. Why wouldn't God give them a place that's part of Israel? Well, 
under Solomon and David, Jordan was part of Israel. So under the Davidic kingdom and Solomon, all of Jordan. And a matter of fact, that land belongs to the descendants of Abraham because God promised Abraham everything from the Nile River to the Euphrates. So all of that belongs to the nation of Israel. Always has. We have, you know, basically the United Nations constantly telling Israel, uh, you need to have less and less and less and less and less. And God's going, no, actually, it's going to be a lot more. When I'm done with this whole thing, the nation will be larger. And many, some even believe that that extends down to the Arabian Peninsula because the Nile goes a lot further south than right there. If you guys, the headwaters of the Nile are further down. But nevertheless, um, where they are sheltered was always promised to Abraham all along. So you could call it a earthly Abraham's bosom, if you would, uh, right there in Jordan. And very interesting that um, it would be part of Solomon and David's kingdom. The seventh bowl, uh, we'll see the armies of the world begin to gather only to be consumed by Jesus when they finally get there, and, and each other. Uh, every single island, it says when it gets all the way and all, everything is gathered together, all the armies of the world are gathered together, the world is ripe for judgment, there will not only be this massive battle and bloodshed, but every island and mountain will be removed from its place on earth. An earthquake that will shake the entire planet Everything moved. Every mountain, Everest will drop in height. Other mountains will rise in height, but nevertheless, everything will be violently moved. Um, I mentioned last week the violent eruption of Krakatoa in 1883, perhaps the loudest sound in world recorded history. The earthquake that hit in Port Royal, Jamaica in 1692, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this one, but hit Port Royal, Jamaica in 1692. Now, Kingston, Jamaica is there today. Kingston is there today. But um, that city was called the Sodom of the New World. It was considered the most wicked city on earth and one of the richest cities on earth, one of the richest cities of the New World. Um, and witnesses that survived it that were on the outskirts that didn't fall directly um, into the sea said the whole thing rolled like waves. It didn't shake, it rolled like waves. The ground liquefied, swallowing entire buildings and people right into open graves, into the, into the sand, into the mud, into the sea, and it caused a massive tsunami to come and throw the ships against the buildings. And Quaker, uh, a Quaker survivor by the name of John Pike said, great men were so swallowed up with pride that a man could not be admitted to speak with them and women whose top, top knots seem to reach the clouds lie now stinking upon the water and are made meat for fish and fowl of the air. Just like in Krakatoa, they, the people that were there thought, this is judgment day. And every little thing in world history that, remember I told you about the police officer at 9-11 that was at Ground Zero, and he looked around, he couldn't see anybody. He said, I thought I was in the end of the world. I thought I was in Armageddon. Everything that happens on that kind of scale is always God whispering to humanity, get right with me. The other night I told my wife, I said, I just flipped through the channels and I saw not one, not two. I saw three either movies or shows listed that were all about the end of the world. I'm like, the, mankind is fascinated by it and yet denies that it's coming like a freight train. And so all of these things 
They just tell us, they portend of a time where God will shake the entire world. Everything will be like Port Royal. Everything will be like Krakatoa. Everything will be like the world's worst battles. But we'll close this morning uh, looking at the seventh bowl events, and they happen in sequence. Everything in yellow there, the kind of bright yellow, um, they happen rather fast in sequence, similar to the midpoint sequence is fast. Uh, everything that happens with the witnesses and uh, the Antichrist and his setting up of the kingdom, the end comes like a flood. So all of this happens in a fast sequence, all of these things. Um, Armageddon really isn't a battle. Armageddon, first of all, is a place, but it is a series of battles that take place on a geographic scale that's not just one place. In other words, Armageddon will take place, if you think of it as the battle to end all battles, it'll take place across Israel, not just in one place, but some places will be the bloodiest, worst of the worst kind of places because all these armies will come. God is really putting hooks in the nation and drawing them to their judgment day. God judges individuals and he judges nations. Individuals and nations. And so he's going to draw the nations. It's not one battle, but it's, uh, it's a multi, um, multitude of battles. And you can see kings will come from the east. They'll, others will finally rise up and resist the power of the Antichrist, and it'll create the world's biggest war. And not just there. It'll be happening in other places too. But um, whether Babylon, another chart here, whether Babylon is actually rebuilt at some point in Iraq, or whether Babylon, in my view, is more like perhaps Rome or some, something like that, because again, Mystery Babylon is part of the revised Roman Empire and the Mystery Harlot religion, and all, you know, things in Rome could play a role in that too. Uh, but anyway, wherever Babylon is, we don't really know. But there's going to be a series of battle, battles um, for world control, but God is setting all this up. God is bringing these nations together for the express reason that they all see that they rejected Jesus. They rejected the true and living Messiah, not the Antichrist who is a created being that will have an eternal judgment. Um, this is Lower Galilee. Um, the two arrows, I'm going to put my glasses on here. I two arrows I put there. Uh, yeah, those are two angles of pictures I'll show in a second where one I took from Tel Megiddo, Tel is a raised city, which they would kind of always build city on top of city on top of city there in the Megiddo um, uh, Valley there. And then the other one's from Mount Carmel. Uh, but that massive valley right there is what people would know as Har Megiddon or the Valley of Megiddo uh, and where we get the term Armageddon. So where Hollywood now makes a movie with Bruce Willis and it's called Armageddon, it's not on the battlefield, which it should be. And so they got a lot of things wrong. But um, the, the wording has now become synonymous with end of the world. Armageddon is a synonymous term now with end of the world. But really, Armageddon is a series of battles that take place probably over about a month period of time, culminating in Jesus slaying everybody at the very end with the sword of his mouth. Remember we read that in Revelation as well. The sword proceeds from his mouth. Um, but up until then, people are slaying each other right and left and getting, and eventually all the world's armies will turn their weapons at Jesus himself. Bad idea, but that, that's what they will eventually do. So that's the Lower Galilee there. And then the two views, 
This is from Tel Megiddo. So if you're facing, this would be facing east. Uh, and um, let's see. Yeah, this is facing east, and that's the valley of Megiddo right there. And then if from Mount Carmel, some of you went to Mount Carmel, you might remember this, this view there. You're looking now, you're looking southeast there, and same valley. And this is what Napoleon had to say about this particular valley. Uh, he felt that all the armies of the world could maneuver on this one plain. And remember, by the time you get to the end of the tribulation, the armies are not as big as they once were. I mean, there's a couple of big, you know, the 200 million one's still big, but much of the world's population has been cut in half at least, if not more. And I really believe that one of the reasons why it's later, well, they'll come on horses and things. I don't think technology is going to be working so good by then. What do you all think? <laughs> I don't think your smartphone is getting much good reception anymore. So why not just go to the battle and end it all? Because it's like the whole world will be on a suicide mission, if you will, which they kind of are now if you don't know Jesus, right? That's, that's, that's the reality if you don't know the Lord. Um, it is a suicide mission. But the second significant valley, it's much smaller and much more narrow, and it's right in Jerusalem. And many of the, if you've been to Israel, you've seen it's much more narrow. Um, it's the valley of Jehoshaphat, also known as the Kidron Valley. It's the little brook that goes between the Garden of Gethsemane. And that valley is the one the Bible says that the blood will go up to the horse's bridle. And again, why I think that nations will be on horses and things like that is, like, again, by by the end of the seventh year, I can't imagine much satellites, even satellites that might have worked, the cosmic disturbances, basically it's medieval times. Grab your lancet, grab your sword, grab your horse, and they're going to try and take on God with that kind of materials, but nevertheless, that's what will happen. There might be some things still working. I don't know how, but that's the Kidron Valley, very narrow valley. We've seen that a number of times looking from the Mount of Olives, and that's where the blood will be running like a river through that valley. Um, Jesus, when all, the, when all the armies are gathered there, the Bible says Jesus will come like lightning from the east. Now, you might have thought that Jesus would come out of nowhere, grab everybody together. It doesn't work that way. He'll come out of the east. The world will see him and know that's Jesus. But he'll go where? To Basra. He'll take the remnant of Israel first under his arms, and he will lead them and all the saints that are with him, all of us that came from heaven on our white horses, up with him to Jerusalem to face down the remaining armies and the Antichrist that thinks they can take him. Right? Foolish thought, but he will come with his saints behind him. And methodically and easily, he'll deliver Israel. He'll deliver them from Basra. He'll make his way to Jerusalem and the Kidron, all the way to the Mount of Olives. And then when he stands on the, when he's up above, looking down at the armies of the world, he'll slay them with his mouth. But also at the same time, the world will shake and hailstones will start to rain down on humanity, a hundred pounds each. Stoning was the form of death under the law. God literally would be stoning the world but slaying the world with the sword. This is not the Jesus the world talks about when they mention him at award ceremonies like the Grammys. This isn't the Jesus they mention. Remember, Jesus died as a lamb, but he comes back 
as the judge of the world. That makes sense? And then he will set his feet on the Mount of Olives, which will then split in two. And at that point, everyone that knows him will be gathered from the four winds of heaven, right? And he will gather them all to himself, King of kings and Lord of lords. What do you think? Are you assured that you're ready? We'll be talking about the, uh, the rapture next week, and um, this has been a lot to, to, to fit into <laughs> the last five weeks, but I hope that, I hope that uh, even though the material, I, I don't enjoy, you know, kind of marinating this stuff for a week after week after week any more than you might enjoy hearing about the entire world's oceans or blood or Jesus slaying the nations, but remember, God is a just God. Everyone will have the chance to receive. The witnesses will be preaching, come to Jesus. The 144,000, come to Jesus. Anyone that says no will be like the man that lifts up his voice in hell. Remember? The rich man and Lazarus. And he's like, please. And he's like, in your lifetime, you had your good things. You chose to reject God. And so uh, even though it's a horrific scene at the end, nobody will be able to blame the Lord. God right now. And plus, if you've heard this message and you're watching online, you have even less excuse because you, this is exactly what God says is going to happen. And everything that Jesus said would happen before, remember he said his own crucifixion? It happened. Destruction of the temple? It happened. Israel, everything God said would happen. They'd come back and land? That's happened, 1948. All of these things are leading to the conclusion. There's nothing you and I can do to stop what's going to happen but there is things we can do to be on the right side. Amen? Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we know that you call this time the day of the Lord. Even the world will recognize the wrath of the Lamb. But Jesus, we know that you laid your life down as a Lamb, that nobody would have to go through this, or even if they did, they would be able to make the wise choice to choose Christ and not the Antichrist. And like the witnesses, they, yes, uh, just like in our lifetime now, we have people that have lost their lives even this year because of their naming the name of Jesus. It's happened all over the world, Lord, and it will happen on a much larger scale. But Lord, you said this life is a vapor, and if we put our faith and trust in you, we can live forever in your kingdom in heaven with you, Lord, none of us have to suffer the end that the Antichrist and the false prophet will suffer when they ultimately are cast into the lake of fire, Lord, because this world is not the end. And you came, Lord, not to bring judgment. You said you did not come to condemn the world. For the world was already condemned, but you came to save the world, for you so loved the world that you gave your very life. And Lord, as we come to a close of, of this part of the series, uh, I just pray that if there's anyone here, Jesus, that doesn't know you, you would be speaking to them right now that they would give their heart and life to you. Lord, we're not guaranteed another week. We're not guaranteed that uh, we will be back here next week. We don't know what holds in the next week in this world. But we know that, uh, Lord, today is the day of salvation. 
While your heads are bowed, and I'm speaking to anyone online as well, if there's anyone here at all that doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you, you want to know that your sins are forgiven and you have the hope of heaven and you don't have to suffer the wrath of God someday, which really will come. I don't care if it's Port Royal, Jamaica, or Krakatoa, or Jerusalem. One day, everyone's going to know. Everyone will know that I should have put my faith in Jesus. Is anyone here that says, I've not done that, I want to do that today? Just raise your hand, I want to pray with you. If there's anyone here at all that says, I want to give my life to Christ, I don't want to be unprepared for the future. Anyone at all? Anyone online? I can't see those online, but I'm going to pray, and you pray with me if, if this is your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying for my sins. Lord, please forgive me, cleanse me, wash me by the blood of the Lamb. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, for I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus. Amen. If you've done that, send us a note at questions at Calvary Chapel. RVA.com. We'd love to pray with you. If you're here this morning, you didn't raise your hand, but you prayed and God spoke to you, come up and talk to myself or one of the men that will be standing up here. Why don't you stand as we close and worship?